Coulter with Coulter Cattle Company in Sand Flat, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. It is great to be back with you once again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, it was great to have those rains last month, but they are gone and it's getting hot and dry once again, and that could mean more cow herd liquidation as we move into fall and winter. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. If you're a Texas High Plains farmer or rancher, a carbon contract offer could come your way any day now. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about what to know about carbon farming. Winter wheat planting in Texas is considerably ahead of schedule compared to last year. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the reasons why in my report on Texas Ag Today. The options for fall-planted wildlife mixtures are many, but often the random mixtures offered for sale by national retailers are not the best adapted plants for Texas. We will discuss foraged mixtures for white-tailed deer in Texas. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We got a bit of a reprieve from the drought last month with the August rains. However, the spigot has been cut off and things are getting dry once again across the Lone Star State. And with that drought brings more cow herd liquidation. Dr. Daryl Peel is a livestock economist with Oklahoma State University. There's little doubt that the drought is accelerating the herd liquidation. Started last year, you know, we were already in cyclical liquidation again from that peak in 2019, but the drought last year accelerated it. The drought this year has accelerated it even more, and it's taking us lower than we really want to be or frankly need to be. But Mother Nature's in control here right now, and and until things change, uh, you know, we won't be able to stop the liquidation. Bob Rodenberger with Stockman, Oklahoma, says most of the cattle producers he's working with are doing a good job of orderly liquidation. We're looking at 2011 and 12 again. The thing that we're seeing that we didn't see then is a higher market in the middle of the drought. We did not see a higher market in 2011 and 12 till the end of 13 and 14. And if you think back, that's when the rain, we finally got restocked and reestablished our grasses and our wheat pasture. And then the market came back. And we're, we're maintaining a good killing cow market, a good stocker market, and a good feeder market through all this. Dr. Peel says that if wheat pasture does become available this year, it may be used a bit differently than we normally use it during the fall and winter, given the limited hay supply. He thinks more wheat pasture is likely to be used for cow herds this year than for stocker production. And even if there is wheat pasture, stocker demand may be a little lighter this year, given that the fall run of calves may be smaller than usual. 
The fourth round of federal government funding for rural broadband here in Texas is now rolling out. Lillian Salerno is the Texas State Director for USDA Rural Development, and she says the ReConnect program is working to connect rural Texans. For example, we granted an award to Totalcom Communications, um, and this is out in Comanche County, and this connects, you know, almost 300 people, nine businesses, 85 farms, and one school to high-speed internet in Comanche County. We have another one in Bailey, Cochran, Hockley, Lamb, and Palmer counties, over where the, the USDA uh, granted a loan and grant combination of $1.6 million. And then we have a big project, almost $10 million, over in Lampass and San Saba counties, where they'll connect, you know, 647 people, almost 20 businesses, and 151 farms to high-speed internet. Salerno says Texas has the most unconnected rural areas in the country due to the massive size of our state. If you're a Texas High Plains farmer or rancher, a carbon contract may be in your future. James Hunt takes a look at what you should know about carbon farming. Haven't been hearing much lately on carbon farming, but Tiffany Lashmet, the ag law specialist with Texas A&M AgriLife, says there are still companies out there who want to enter carbon contracts with ag producers. It depends a little bit on the particular contract, but essentially what you're going to have is a company that is asking the farmers to undertake a specific practice that should increase the amount of carbon in the soil. So the common ones that you see are no-till farming, implementing cover crops, using regenerative grazing. These are some kind of common practices that you might see in the contract. So what the farmer would do would be, or the rancher, would be to contract with the company, agree to undertake these practices to sequester additional carbon, and then get paid in exchange for doing that. Essentially, they're selling that carbon credit that they generated with the additional carbon to the company, who then oftentimes will sell it to another business to use to offset their own carbon footprint. But Lashmuth says, as with any contract, the devil's in the details, so analyze everything carefully before you sign. And be sure the economics are really going to work. Here in the panhandle, the soil scientists we work with tell us we can really only store probably about 0.1 tons of carbon per year, which is pretty low. The nationwide average is about 0.6 tons per acre of carbon a year. But all the payments are structured based on a ton of carbon. So if what you hear is we'll pay $20 a ton, a lot of people hear $20 an acre, but that's not the same, right? So in the panhandle on average, that $20 a ton may look more like $2 an acre a year. Want to know more? Lashmut says AgriLife has resources to help producers better understand carbon farming. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. About a third of the Texas winter wheat crop is now in the ground. Tom Nicoletti has a look at the outlook for this year's crop. My guest today is Darby Campsey. She is Director of Communications and Producer Relations with the Texas Wheat Producers Board and Association from Amarillo. And uh, Darby, as uh, producers are beginning to uh, plant the seeds for their winter wheat crop, uh, what are some of the projected numbers you folks have, the, uh, the outlook for the crop this winter? So we are currently about 33% planted for the crop year. That's very much ahead of schedule than we've seen previous years. Last year at this time, we were at 18% planted and the five-year average is 16%. That's also a jump from 17% planted last week. So about a 50% jump there from week to week. A lot of that planting activity is taking place quickly because of the moisture that we received here in the panhandle. A couple 
couple of weeks ago. Producers were very desperate for some moisture and so took advantage of that moisture getting in the ground. We also probably have some producers who are planting early for grazing and forage. As far as planted acres go, we don't get a number from USDA until January, but last year we had about 5.4 million acres planted. And this year we are hearing that more acres will be planted. So if we could anticipate, we may rebound back to that 2020 level of about 5.5, 5.6 million acres. And we certainly hope that the weather cooperates and producers are able to get some good development over the fall and take that out to grain production in the spring. That is Darby Campsey with the Texas Wheat Producers Board and Association. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Deer season is just around the corner and it's time to get those food plots up and growing. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says not every bag of food plot seed is suited for Texas. White-tailed deer rely primarily on forbs and browse, which are usually higher in crude protein and digestibility than grasses. Grasses comprise only a small part of the overall diet of the white-tailed deer. Other useful introduced forages include both warm and cool season legumes. White-tailed deer generally need supplemental nutrition during late summer and late winter when native forages may be lacking in quantity or nutritive value. Warm season forage legumes, cool season forage legumes, and forage oats are all great choices to include in forage mixtures for white-tailed deer in Texas. One problem with planting mixtures of these three forages is determining the correct planting rate for each forage species so that competition is minimized and each species can be productive. Planting rate experiments with cowpeas, oats, and clover were conducted at multiple East Texas locations and in multiple years. In the most recent experiment, six different mixtures of iron and clay cowpeas, heavy grazer oats, and Apache arrowleaf clover were planted at Overton at the end of August. All mixtures were broadcast on freshly disked seed beds and rolled to lightly cover the seed and ensured good seed-to-soil contact. Fertilizer and lime were applied prior to planting according to soil test. The mixture of 40 pounds per acre of cowpeas plus 40 pounds per acre of oats and 10 pounds per acre of arrowleaf clover provided the best distribution of forage production from early fall to early winter for East Texas. The general recommendations for planting include the following. Make plans to plant between the end of August and the end of September for East Texas. Collect soil samples from the planting location for fertilizer and lime recommendations. Disc the area to be planted two weeks prior to planting and again on the day of planting. Broadcast the seed and follow with a roller or some sort of drag to increase seed to soil contact. For additional recommendations, contact your local county extension agent. This is Dr. Vanessa Corrier Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is considering a rule change that would allow people to use drones at night to help control feral hawks. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll explain coming up on Texas Ag Today. And bacterial resistance is a very big deal right now in animal medicine. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. 
Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Bacterial resistance is a big deal right now in both animal and human medicine. Dr. Bob Judd says common infections like UTIs in dogs and cats need to be properly diagnosed so that we don't use antibiotics unnecessarily. It is important to make sure a pet has a urinary tract infection before just treating with antibiotics. Symptoms of a lower urinary tract infection include frequent urination and blood in the urine. However, just treating these animals with antibiotics is not the correct method of treatment as there are multiple other causes of these symptoms. These symptoms can occur in dogs and cats due to stones in the bladder or masses in the bladder and can even occur in cats just due to stress, so antibiotics are not always indicated. To correctly diagnose a urinary tract infection requires a sterile urine sample taken directly out of the bladder and culture of the sample. If bacteria is cultured out of the sample, then you can assume the pet needs antibiotics, but if no bacteria is cultured, antibiotics are not likely to be helpful. There are multiple antibiotics that are concentrated in the urine, and for initial treatment, amoxicillin is a good choice. If it is an infection and it recurs, there likely is a problem with either a stone in the bladder, mass in the bladder, or decreased immunity for some reason. Although all cases of urinary tract infections do not have to be cultured or examined with x-rays and ultrasound, all cases that recur require further testing. Ultrasound is great at visualizing the bladder and finding masses or stones, while some stones can be seen on x-rays. If stones are present, some of them can be dissolved with food, and some cannot depending on the type of stone present. This is the reason your vet does not want to just dispense antibiotics for a possible urinary tract infection, because this may not be the problem. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is considering a rule change that would allow the use of drones at night to help control feral hogs. Jessica Domel has the story in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is now accepting comments on a proposal that would allow people to use unmanned aerial vehicles to spot feral hogs at night so they can be controlled from the ground. Stormy King, TPWD Assistant Commander of Wildlife Enforcement, explained the proposal to the Parks and Wildlife Commission at their last meeting. In recent years, the expanded availability to the general public of unmanned aerial vehicles, commonly called drones or UAVs, has led to an increased occurrence of their use to conduct activities associated with aerial wildlife management permits issued by Texas Parks and Wildlife. Federal and state laws, particularly in regard to wildlife, in many cases make no distinction between drones and manned aircraft. Along with the popularity of drones, there has also been an increase in availability and affordability of thermal imaging equipment. These cameras are very effective in locating wildlife and other heat sources for various purposes. The combination of the drone with this thermal imagery can be very effective, specifically in the management of feral hogs. 
However, current regulations prohibit permitted activity involving take from occurring at night. Recognizing the utility of the platform and the absence of an associated resource or safety concern, staff proposed changes to the regulations that would allow the use of drones to locate feral hogs to facilitate take by gunners on the ground to occur at night under the provisions of the Area Wildlife Management Permit. Shooting feral swine from a drone would remain illegal. The public can comment on the proposal until 5 p.m. November 2nd. The Parks and Wildlife Commission is expected to discuss it at its workshop and meeting November 2nd and 3rd. A link to submit comments is available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The cash-fed cattle market continues to climb higher, but the futures disagree. They close lower once again on Thursday. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures closed lower once again on Thursday, despite the fact that we're seeing higher cash trade this week. We ended up lower on live cattle futures on Thursday, with the October down a dollar two at one forty four eighty five. The December down a dollar forty one forty nine thirty five, with February down a dollar twelve. 153.77. Feeder cattle lower on all except the nearby lightly traded September contract. It was up two cents, 178.20. October feeders down a dollar twenty-five, 177.97, with November down 227 at 178.05. We mentioned earlier higher cash trade this week. Here in Texas, we've seen sales at 143. That's a buck higher than last week. Up north, live prices ranging from 145 to 147, dressed sales at 228 to 232 this week. Boxed beef was mixed Thursday, choice up three cents, 249.16, select down a dollar five at 225.09. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My friend Benny Cox had a good sheep and goat sale in San Angelo Tuesday. Benny, how did it go? We sold seventy nine seventy five. dollars uh, Quite a few goats compared to last week. The wool feeder lambs that we had, we didn't have a whole lot of them, but they were $20, $30 lower. Still selling iron, anything I've heard of around the U.S. You know, up north, they're having a tough go of it. Uh, the slaughter lambs, the hair sheep type, they were 10 to 20 lower. Uh, it got pretty zippy in the middle of the sale, but from the start, it was a little sluggish, and boy, toward the end, it sure wasn't good. Uh, the slaughter ewes, they were 10 to 20 lower. There's lots of ewes moving up north for sure. Uh, that might have some influence on that market. Uh, our kid goats, they were kind of 10 to 15 higher. Uh, slaughter nannies, 110 to 164, but mostly 148 to 155. And your slaughter billies, still good market on those. Two to 265. Most of them bring 220 to 240-ish. 
the wolf ear lambs that we did have, oh, they sold down as low as one twenty uh, and up to two dollars on some real lightweights. Of course, going to the ethnic kill deal, but they sold mostly in the one thirty to one fifty range. On the slaughter lambs, the hair sheep type, the light end of those from two dollars all the way up to three oh four, and the heavyweights from one forty to two thirty two. The slaughter used from seventy five to one fourteen, but mostly seventy nine to eighty eight. Kid goats in a range from two thirty to three fifty, but mostly three oh five to three seventeen. Uh, with some of those fancy feeders all the way up to three ninety seven. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Benny. They can call me on my mobile. It's three two five two three four four two seven seven. The office same area code six five three. 3371 or they can always look at the web which is producersandcargal.com Thank you Benny and thank you Texas neighbors for listening to Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network I'm Larry Marble I put it together and I'll do it again tomorrow good day Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finish lower on Thursday. October hogs down 30 cents, 94.12. December hogs down 77 at 85.67. Class 3 milk was steady to lower. The September contract unchanged at 1988 100 weight. October milk down 19 cents, 21.51 100. Cotton market closing mostly lower. USDA released the weekly export sales report Thursday morning, showing total sales of 33,000 bales for old crop, 13,000 for new crop. Also, the cotton market watching the dollar run up to new highs. That's never good for cotton exports. And, of course, we had that interest rate hike earlier this week. So all of that weighing on the cotton market with the December cotton dropping 38 points, closing at 96.54. March cotton down 39 at 93.67. December 23 cotton was up 73 points at 80.53. Corn market finishing slightly higher. December corn up two and three quarters, 6.88 and a quarter. March corn up three cents, 6.93 and a quarter. The wheat market hitting two month highs as news of Russia's President Putin saying he's sending more troops into Ukraine helped to support prices with December Kansas City wheat up 12 and a half, 979 and a half. The new crop July was up 10 at 958 and a quarter. On the soft wheat market, December wheat up seven cents at nine ten and three quarters. In the energy markets, Thursday, the October natural gas contract was down fifty eight cents at seven nineteen. November crude oil up sixty cents, eighty three fifty four a barrel. The financial markets narrowly mixed Thursday afternoon. The Dow up twenty six points at thirty thousand two thirteen. The Nasdaq down ninety four eleven thousand one twenty five. The S&P down 12 at 3,777. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.